we have this housing crisis. There aren't any rental units available for people. We have such a big deficit. Well, hmm, I wonder why, because investors are going elsewhere. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Happy New Year, everybody. It is Sarah Larby. Welcome to 2020. Have you put your goals together yet or figured out what you are going to go after in 2020? If you haven't done so, make sure that you take some time, reflect on 2019 and plan for an awesome 2020. I like to do that every single year, towards the end of the year, beginning of the year, and just write down all of the goals of what I wanna achieve. And I really like to look back, and look back even like from 2017, 2016, and just see what my goals were. And it was pretty funny just to see some of them. And sometimes you've got some that you might not achieve that year, but then you look back two years forward, or two years backwards, however you wanna consider that, and you realize that you actually probably done most of those because you really focused on them. So it is really cool to see what I had as goals in 2016 and 2017 and even just last year and, you know, what I've accomplished and achieved so far. So I'm really excited for a great year and uh, I hope I hope you guys are too. Thank you for tuning in and listening on a week to week basis. Like I would not be doing this podcast if you didn't enjoy it and didn't see value in it. So I thank you for, you wrote to me and you sent me an email or you messaged me on Instagram. This is the reason I like to do these podcasts is so I can help others, especially Canadians that are investing in Canada, really decipher through all the BS and figure out what is the, you know, what what are the best ways to invest and what makes sense in Canada? Because it's a very, very different than the US and a lot of the other markets out there. So super happy with how the podcast is going. I would not be here today if it wasn't for the podcast. And if you guys are thinking, hmm, maybe I should do a podcast, you go do it. Trust me, if I can put a podcast together, you guys can put a podcast together. I am not a techie person at all. And the podcast actually, I created a podcast after going to an event. It was like that like wealth it was like that wealth forum, the first one that we had back, I think it was in 2017 with Tony Robbins. And then there were like some breakout sessions and there was one about podcasting and I ended up taking that course and I'm like, well, I'm going to just go do it now. And, uh, and here we are, you know, in 2020, the podcast is, uh, is awesome. Like it is great to be able to connect with you and hear what your struggles are or what your successes are or what you're looking forward to learning. So thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for your Instagram messages. I like to respond to them. So just sometimes just keep in mind, it might take me like a few days <laughs> to get back to you, but I, it is important for me that I read them all and answer them all and help you if I can. So on that note, I'm really excited for today's guest. Today's guest is Seth Ferguson, and he actually originally reached out to me 
for me to be on his podcast. And that was a ton of fun, really enjoyed it. And, uh, and so then I, I said, well, why don't you come on my podcast and tell your story? And so that's exactly what happened. I had him on my podcast and he's actually also the host of a TV show on real estate investing in Canada. So super awesome. I think we are recording actually, depending on when you guys listen to this in, uh, in January, we're recording a show. So I'm not sure when it's going to air, but I'm super excited about that too. And so you're going to hear about his ups and his downs and all his stories. So excited about that. And guys, I am launching the next round of the Burr group session or the Burr group class. If you are interested, let me know. I only like to take 10 people at the max and every three or four months, you know, set up a new group if, if there is demand for it. And literally going into markets, going into different markets, analyzing different properties. It is a mix of uh, live group calls and live field days. So, so far the students have really been enjoying it and, uh, and, and learning tons and making offers and getting deals. So super excited. And if I can help again and do it again, you know, why not? I, uh, I, I enjoy going out there and getting deals done. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what I like to do much more than the taxes and the paperwork for me. I just like to go out there, teach and, Let's, uh, let's make things happen for 2020. So on that note, guys, enjoy the interview. Hi, Seth. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I am super, super excited. Me too. So we, uh, we met a couple, well, met virtually met a couple months ago <laughs> where you were interviewing me. So now the tables are reversed and I get to interview you. <laughs> I, I'm already sweating under the collar. I'm super nervous. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll be nice. You were nice to me. <laughs> All right. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about you and uh, who Seth is? Yeah, well, I am a real estate investor who started off selling the residential real estate product. I live in Milton, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto, if uh, nobody knows where Milton is. And uh, so I started selling the residential product and realized that, uh, you know, even though I was making good money, it was money was coming in, money was going out. I didn't really have any assets. So I started acquiring uh, some single family properties and then we'll get into some juicy stories later on. But uh, I ended up losing it all and then starting from scratch. So that, that's what I'm all up to right now. Okay. So it's like, let's just fast forward today. What does the strategy look like and what does your portfolio look like? Yeah. So right now I'm concentrating on larger multifamily deals with the syndication structure. So we were uh, actually, I was just working on a 278 unit deal in Orlando, Florida that we were syndicating. So, so that's what I'm concentrating on now. Uh, the larger commercial real estate. So how many years was it in between that time span from where, when you got started to today? Oh boy, uh, for, from like starting investing like before, that was probably maybe five years ago, I think. It hasn't been too long. Okay, so you grew really fast. So you went from just starting losing it all, I want to know about that story, to yeah. doing large, large multifamily and syndications on top of that. So I don't even know where to start, but let's, let's talk about maybe like how you scaled it the first time and then how and why you lost it all. And I, I shouldn't assume, but was this in the US? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, well, actually, I, I should grab a box of Kleenex because I'll get all teary dyed. <laughs> But, uh, oh yeah, so, okay, so we'll start from scratch. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly what year it was. I think it was five years ago when we got the first one. So it was uh, my partner at the time, 
also the mother of my child. <laughs> and, uh, and so we acquired a bungalow. I did an accessory apartment in the basement. So we had the duplex. That was great. Uh, then, we, then we acquired, what, was, what came after that? Then it was a condo. Then we had a detached. So we acquired a, a bunch of properties that way. And the beautiful thing about real estate, and if somebody's just thinking about getting into real estate investing, this is the most beautiful thing there is. Because you know, with the duplex conversion, we added the basement apartment, refinanced the property, pulled out all of our initial capital, then used that to acquire another property. So we had on the duplex, we had none of our own money in there. It was all the bank's money. And then we had all this, this big chunk Then we got to go buy another property. So that, that's the power of leverage and understanding how you can do renovations, certain renos that will increase the value of the property. And then that allows you to refinance and, and repeat. So that was the single family side. And then uh, unfortunately, one day, a lot of money disappeared from the bank accounts and the locks were changed on my house. And then uh, I was told I would never see my son again. And uh, she kind of took everything. <laughs> so everything I, fell apart. I wasn't sure if it was like a 2008 crash or anything like that. But Oh, no, 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 no. This was actually, uh, this was last. So right now we're recording this and oh no, we're in October 2019. Yeah, I, guess said, I guess you said five years ago. So it's definitely more than five years ago. <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, I, I basically got wiped out last year. So oh, it was uh, oh, wow. September, September 2018. September 4th was actually the day more than six figures disappeared from the bank accounts. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can even ask you any more questions about that. It is pretty sad. Oh, it, I, I, I'm, an open, I'm an open book with that kind of stuff because I, I think I made a lot of mistakes in how things were structured and set up. So if, if somebody's listening to this and like, oh, well, my relationship's on the rocks and we own some property, I'm more than happy to talk about it because okay, like, let's, let's one of the things- then because at some point, yeah. You know, like hopefully everything is is good, but at some point things happen and probably will happen. And so like, right, like that whole structure piece and how do you do the whole division? Like, so let's talk about that. What would you do differently? Yeah. So, so number one, like we never had a partnership agreement on paper outlining, you know, what would happen? Is there a shotgun clause? Do certain things, do certain things come into play if X, Y, and Z happens or Z if you're in the States? That didn't, happened. You know, we, we just purchased properties. We were both on title. So we both owned it 50-50 and we were just rolling along. I figured, hey, we own a bunch of property and we have a kid together. Everything's good. But I, I guess I was being a little bit naive at that point because where, where we really got in trouble is one day she takes all the money and clears out the bank accounts, wipes them out. And then we had some vacancy in our properties, but then she was refusing to sign because we were both 50-50 she was refusing to sign any new leases on the properties to really grind it to me. So we had this bad situation where all of the cash reserves are gone from the bank accounts because she took them. And then we have no rent coming in on these properties. And then we have all these mortgage expenses that start bouncing because all the money's gone. So I, I'm not sure if there's a way to get around that because that, that's, pretty, that's a pretty intense situation. But in the future, if I'm doing a single family home deal, I would have into the agreement, well, you know, if X partner takes certain actions that are detrimental to whatever we outline it, you know, there's a shotgun clause where it's a forced buyout at you know, market value based on appraisal or, or something like that to cover your butt because things got pretty uncomfortable really fast. Wow. I'm almost like speechless. I don't think I've been speechless on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it really sucks that I... At the end of the day, though, like 
it probably is a lot of us. Like I'm thinking I'm like, I don't have like a specific agreement either for what we own. Like, of course it's 50, 50 and yeah. I hope that the person doesn't go ahead and like clear everything out, et cetera. But you know, like it's a good time to when things are going well to talk to a lawyer and talk to like the experts to make sure yeah. like for both parties, just that everything is going to be okay. You know? Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, I, I think lots of people, when they get into real estate investing, they're all pumped up, they're really excited, and they're not thinking worst case scenarios. And I don't know what the stats are, but I think it's over 50% of marriages yeah. fail. Like, we weren't even like married, we were like common law. But yeah, it, so right now, like any partnership I look at, I'm always thinking worst case scenario, where am I? What does the paper say? How can I extricate myself? How can I remove the other party if they start acting pretty psycho? That, that sort of kind of stuff. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess you grow from that. And like, did your credit get affected because of that? <laughs> yeah. But when you have a whole bunch of mortgages start bouncing and then yeah. there's no money. Like I, I was basically like legit, the locks got changed on my house. So I had no house anymore. And then she took the car when I was inside the gym too. So I, bas- I was basically left with nothing. So yeah, my credit took a pretty big hit. So is that why now you're in the US? No, no. Well, so if we go back in time about three years ago when my son was born, so he's, he's turning three this November, so November 2019. But when my son was born, you don't have any kids, right? No. No. Okay. Well, so he, he was my he was my first child, and a couple other guys I've talked to have experienced the same thing. But you know, when you hold your child in your arms for the first time, you kind of experience a transformation in like the, a blink of an eye. So you know, the, the first thing is I, I recognized how far along I was in my own life. You know, now I'm approaching the end of my life cycle because I've just holding this brand new baby who's just starting his life. The other thing is I had an instant urge to do better and be better, not for myself, but for my son now. Before with the real estate investing, I was doing it for myself, but now my whole paradigm shifted and I'm not doing anything for me anymore. It's for him. And I realized that I needed to be bigger and do bigger things and scale the portfolio for him. That, That was almost like an instinctual feeling I got as soon as I picked them up. And I realized that investing in single family homes, even though it's a great investment for lots of people for for the goals I had and where I needed to take it for, for my son, I would have to buy a thousand houses. And, and that's pretty crazy, especially in the Canadian market where, where we have all sorts of regulation. Um, I don't think a thousand houses is, is sustainable. So... And, and, that, and that's why I, I flipped over to multifamily because you're able to raise a lot more money. The syndication structure has many unique benefits to it. And, uh, and going with larger properties, you're dealing with 300 units at a time rather than one or two or four if you're doing like a fourplex. Right. Now the multifamily, are they all in the U.S.? Yeah. So it's, it's US based. Um, a couple reasons like Ontario, you know, it, it's a powerhouse for myself. I'm thinking long term with this. So I, I sat down and thought, hey, listen, for the next 30 years, if I want to do this, what sort of markets do I want, do I want to be in? And I, I think if you just look at the Canadian market in general, in the US market, the US market is just so much bigger. Like it, it, it is a mammoth beast compared with us. Like we're, we're such a small country. We have lots of land mass, but our population is very small. The other thing is, you know, if I fly down to a property, I don't want to deal with snow. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so, so I, I'm focusing right now on the States. I've had some people ask about doing maybe a, a Canadian deal or setting up a fund to, to take down some Canadian deals. One of the interesting things is in Ontario, we have rent control. So that, that's, a, that's a unique obstacle because the, the approach has to be a little bit different because I'm a big fan of the value-add approach. So let, let's say we're buying an apartment building and it's 300 units. You know, we're looking for something where the rents are below market, it needs some renovation, there's some meat left on the bone that we can go in and exploit. So if we buy that building in Ontario and we do a whole bunch of renovations, we're limited, we're capped by the government on how much we can raise those rents. We can't even bring them up to market value. So that, that really expands our timeline in terms of bringing that property up to par and commercial properties are valued on the income they produce the, with the income approach. So our valuation is going to hurt. But if we go to a market, even Alberta, no rent control, we can go in there, do the renovations, bring those rents up to market value within a year or two, and then you know, look for a refi if, uh, if that makes sense for, for the deal. And, uh, and really push that value up uh, and forcing that appreciation. Yeah, no, definitely some great points. I mean, that whole rent control thing, you know, it's one of those things I, I was just reading an article the other day. And like as investors, when you buy a multifamily building, like at some point you're going to want to bring the rents back up. So your tenants, you want them gone at some point. So cash for keys is a big thing. And I was reading an article that somebody did that. And then all of a sudden they're the bad, big, bad landlord. I'm oh. like, everybody does this. Like everybody will... Like that's the, that's what you need to do in order to be able to refi the building. I mean, it's based on NOI, it's based on, you know, the operating expenses and that's, yeah, it is, you it's, know? So. you know, if you have time for a four hour episode, I can start <laughs> on my rant about rent control. Oh man, no, let's, let's not go there, but you know, it is okay. what it is. Like just le- like learn the pros and cons and I mean, mostly cons about rent control. Oh, it, it's in California, just introduced statewide rent control. I just, okay. I, I, I got it. Okay. I'll, I'll keep this within like a minute, but okay. So it, th- this is my big problem with it. I'm all for capitalism, right? What is the incentive as a landlord, as a building owner to put money back into the building and make it a better, safer living experience for the tenants if they're not able to earn a return on their investment? That's the whole basis of our economy. You put money at risk for a return and the return is based on that risk, but, but rent control cuts that and, and, and basically prohibits a, a building owner and landlord of earning a return on their money that they've just put at risk. It, it makes no sense to me. And then, you know, now in the GTA, especially, we have such a deficit of units coming online and you wonder why, you know, we have this housing crisis. There aren't any rental units available for people. We have such a big deficit. Well, hmm, I wonder why, because investors are going elsewhere or just building condos that they can sell instead of purpose-built rental properties. Yeah, no, absolutely. 100% agree. Now, I will say that they now, as of November of last year, anything new is not yes. in control. So like now it goes to say, like, if you're doing a duplex conversion, the basement that is new, a new unit is now exempt. That, that's true. And then we can get into a whole bunch of other like red tape stuff. Yeah. But uh, we'll have like hashtag Seth gets triggered. <laughs> So. But um, okay, so let, let's go back to the, the multifamily in the US because I do want to talk about that. And yeah. we're like, obviously, we're, we don't have a four hour podcast episode. Unfortunately, I, I wish we could, but 
maybe another oh. time where we'll make them into four different episodes. How did, how did you get into the US? Like, how did you build your team? How did you, did you partner with somebody? Like, how did that all work? Oh, oh yeah. P- partnership is huge. And, and that's, that's the one thing I, that really stood out to me. So, you know, doing single family homes, it was myself and my, my ex doing it on your own. And you kind of do that and everything works out, hopefully. But with the commercial side, it's really a team sport because you have so many different specialized skills that have that go into these deals. So number one, you need an underwriter. So somebody, you know, making sure that the deal's good, doing all the numbers, all the spreadsheets. That's a totally different skill set than a capital raiser who's raising the capital. You know, typically the person raising money from investors is not your good underwriter. So you need two different people for that. And then you need a good operator, somebody who's going to manage the deal throughout its life cycle. That's going to be a different skill set than somebody raising capital. And and then, you know, if you're doing heavy construction, you need a construction manager and then you have property management. So, so all, there's so much meat on the bone with these larger commercial deals that you're able to bring in specialized experts who excel at exactly what they're doing. And you know, the, the really successful teams that are taking down these deals, they make sure everybody knows what their lane is. They stay in their lane and they focus on performing at their assigned job. So the capital raiser isn't talking about underwriting. They understand it, but you know, that's not their job. Their, their job is to raise the capital. So that's, it's, it's, a totally, it's more like a hockey team versus a golfer. A golfer uh, relies on themselves and their caddy. So that, that's like a partnership. But a hockey team, you need like your first line all the way down to your fourth line. And then, you know, you have a couple of guys riding the bench, but <laughs> we won't go into the guys uh, you know, that are healthy scratches. No worries. So how did you, first of all, how did you figure out exactly who you needed? Like, did you have a mentor or a coach or somebody to walk you through? Oh, it? One, 100%. So uh, there's a gentleman, his name is Joe Fairless, and uh, he runs, I, he, he advertises I his, actually, podcast. his podcast. Yeah. Well, actually, is that how we got, I think that's how we got connected. Yeah. Okay. Joe's really, really great guy. Longest running uh, real estate podcast in the world. Uh, So he's been doing it for, I think, four or five years now. Super great guy. So I reached out to him and, uh, and he's shown me the ropes and uh, it's, uh, it's been really good. It's been really eye opening. I mentioned I got wiped out uh, last year. So it's been, I think, 14 months. And very soon after I lost everything, I, uh, I started working on this stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it, Joe's been a big part, big supporter. And real estate's not rocket science. You know, whether you're doing single family homes or 100 unit building, 50 unit, 300 unit, it's not rocket science. It's just those little nuances, terminology, how properties are valued, just the, just the knowledge that you can't really pick up in a textbook. So, you know, what's the best way to render these units? Well, this is one way to do it, but I've learned from experience, you you might want to take this approach with it, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Okay. So you have your coach, you have somebody walking you through who to find, how to find them. Can you walk us through like the last multifamily property that you purchased, how you got the funding for it, what it looks like, what you did to it? Well, yeah. So it would be the uh, the deal coming up uh, in Orlando. That's closing on October twenty fifth. So again, like uh, you know, it, where do you want me to start? Hey, take it wherever you want. Okay. So with, with these large multifamily deals, you know, I was talking about how there's more meat on the bone. So I was able to part. Like I didn't source the deal. This is actually run through uh, Joe's company, but I was able to participate on the general partner side by raising capital for it. 
and, and participating there. So if somebody's not familiar, when I said general partner, with these larger deals in a syndication, you have two sides. You have a limited partner and a general partner. The limited partner our partners are the investors. They're putting their money up. They're not the real estate experts. They don't, or they could be, but but they're participating passively in the investment. The general partners are the active players in the deal. So they're the ones raising the capital, managing the deal, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, really excited to participate in this. It was an amazing deal. The debt terms, it was a three point. 8% 10-year uh, Freddie loan, five years interest only. That's super cheap debt. The, the yes. place is on a lake. Oh, it, it, it was amazing. But yeah, so I was able to participate in that deal as a general partner. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's taking advantage of, of the team aspect of it because, you know, if you're raising, let's say, $12 million, uh, chances are one person can't raise that money all on their own. Uh, so you have a, a bunch of people participate and work together to get that uh, money or that capital raised for the deal. Got it. So your, I guess your job or your role in this deal is to f like fund most of it. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, having interviewed over, let's say 200 investors on my podcast, you know, you get to talk with how people got started and, you know, raising capital for these deals is a really great way for people to get started in the multifamily space because you start building a track record. This deal, I think it was purchased for $45 million. So that's a, that's a good uh, deal to put on your, your resume, your real estate resume. And you, know, you do some deals like that, you get known in the industry, you, you make those connections, and then pretty soon, you know, you're going to be doing your, your own deals where you're the key principal, the, the KP. Very cool. So, okay. So how are you going about raising capital right now? Like, are you going to friends and family? Are you just using maybe like different like ways of like networking? And then is it registered funds or not? Because the other thing is, I don't think as a registered RSP that you can actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think I can invest my RSP into US deal. Well, okay. So with this specific deal, it was US investors only. Um, Canadians can invest in these uh, deals in the States. So this particular deal was what's called the 506B, which meant that we could only advertise it to accredited investors in our network and an accredited investor, the securities laws are very similar in the in Canada and the states. It's you know whether you're making three hundred thousand dollars as a couple, two hundred thousand dollars a year on your own, or you have a million dollars of assets excluding your principal residence. So you know we're dealing with high net worth individuals. This goes all the way back to uh, back in the day. I think it's the 1930s when some people were swindling people out of their life savings with some uh, phony. Uh, stocks and stuff like that. But so we raised capital from accredited investors, uh, family and friends, that is the next step. But realistically, we're looking for high net worth individuals. In terms of can you use your RSP, like we have self-directed IRAs in the States, very similar vehicle to RRSPs. And uh, you can in, uh, use those to invest in syndications. But right now I'm concentrating on raising capital in, in the States. Okay, got it. So now yeah. when you're finding these accredited investors, where and how are you finding them? Yeah, well, having a podcast is a great way uh, to, to get the message out there. Um, and, uh, and that's going well. And, and the longer I'm doing the podcast, uh, the more inquiries I get about it. So, so that's one way. Um, I do lots of live streams on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, so I'll cover a topic, whether it's, uh, you know, the difference between a syndication and the fund. So I'll do a 15-minute live stream. Um, so it's all uh, leveraging social media to put out quality information and uh, education uh, to people because 
one thing I found having those investor conversations is, you know, somebody may be a very successful uh, lawyer, business owner, doctor, and they may have lots of income, but they've never been educated on the opportunities real estate investing present because everybody's just focused on, oh, well, the bank gives me these products and this is probably what's best. But, you know, we all know making, nobody's getting rich off of a mutual fund that's paying you 5% a year. You know, that these multifamily deals are penciling out, you know, at, let's say between 15 and 20% internal rate of return. At, at 17%, your money doubles every four years. That's, that's the whole power of the rule of 72. What is that? 5%, what would that be like? 14 years? So that, that shows you, that shows you the difference of, okay, invest in a mutual fund, your capital will take 14 years to double, invest in a solid multifamily deal, you know, your capital's doubling every four years. Think about the impact that will have on you and your life, you know, if your capital's doubling at, at such an exceptional rate, not to even mention the tax benefits, where we're basically, because of cost segregation and depreciation, uh, we're taking advantage of the tax code. So we're basically wiping out almost all of the tax you're going to pay on the money you make in the real estate deal. Um, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Um, yeah. So I, I get I get really excited talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I can I can tell now because you you're in Canada and you're in the U.S. and like yeah. I always truly believe that the tax advantages were just better in the U.S. than than for us in Canada as Canadians. Well, we we pay such high, especially in Ontario, we pay such high tax, and that's you know to use a U.S. example, you look at the population shifts across the country. So many people are are leaving California and New York to those southern states like Texas, uh, Florida. You know, Texas and Florida, you pay no tax. Yeah, like I, I meant more like like a 1031 exchange. Oh. Like, like for example, like when you're going to sell your building and I don't know if it's like 120 days or what the timeline is, but you can buy something of more or equal value and you can defer your taxes. I'm like, we sell something here, we're paying tax no matter what. <laughs> I yeah. Think. Like it's just more beneficial to be an American tax wise. Oh, 100%. And then the beautiful thing is you defer your tax throughout your lifetime and then when you die... There's a way that you can avoid paying any estate tax so your kids inherit these properties and pay no tax. Then so they can go through the whole thing again. So th this is how these families pass on these large portfolios to each successive generation and, and pay no tax. It, it is so powerful. Yeah. Um, and guys, we're not, but, we're not accountants or like anybody. Oh, yeah. Like, I just have to do a disclaimer because you never know. But like we're just having a conversation check with your accountant. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not a CPA. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it, like, it, that's a big thing. And they're like always talking about like when you're listening to these American podcasts, I mean, you do podcasts, I think a lot of your listeners are American, but you have a lot of Canadians too. But that's a big thing that we don't have. Like, yes, we get the mortgage pay down. Yes, we get the leverage. Yes, we get appreciation and, and cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to taxes, I'm like, we're not that advantaged. <laughs> Yeah, the, the 1031 is really, really powerful. But uh, at the end of the day, the government wants their money, especially here. So you got you to gotta pony up. But you, you can still take advantage of cost segregation, depreciation, all the tax credits. It's just when we divest ourselves of the property and sell it, you know, the, the government needs to get their share. Hand in your pocket. That's it. Yep. Very cool. So, okay. So the next part of this podcast is our lightning round. So Seth, I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Where should I invest with your host, 
Sarah Larvey. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she's works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now, and I'm still able to get financing with A-lenders, and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis, it was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-208. 6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. I now I'm nervous. Okay. <laughs> All right. So number one, favorite real estate investing book ever. Rich Dad Poor Dad isn't really like an investing book per se, but I'll say Rich Dad Poor Dad. Okay. I feel like 90% of everybody that's been on here has said that. Oh, okay, I'll change <laughs> no, my answer no, then. No, I'll no, change I'm my answer. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I'll change my answer to Don Campbell's book, uh, Secrets of Real Estate Investing, I think it's called, by Don Campbell. That, that's a good one for the Canadian audience, for sure. Okay, question number two. What is your favorite podcast? Uh, I, I think Sarah Larby does a really good job. Okay, so other than mine... Oh, okay. I was trying to suck up a little bit. I would say uh, London Real with Brian Rose. Okay, awesome. Number three, your favorite pastime. So what do you do for fun aside from real estate? I really enjoy working out. So I'll say uh, lifting some weights. All right, good, good. If you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow... Question number four, how would you start again? And actually, you know, I know you're laughing and I, I don't mean to laugh either, but it actually happened to you and you started it again. Yeah. So you, you build a team, you start uh, pumping out some good content and you raise capital because you've lost all your own capital. The only thing I didn't lose was my knowledge and my experience. 
And uh, I, I'm a big believer now that, you know, as long as you have your knowledge and experience and you have a good team, money will find you because there's always money looking for a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. Spoken from experience. Good job. Good job on rebuilding. Like, that's amazing. Like, you could have gone one way or another, right? And you chose to rebuild and do a bigger and better. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I cried for two days. <laughs> <laughs> two days. Yeah. All right. And the last question. If somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? Education. Okay. Amazing. So Seth, if our listeners wanted to reach out and know more, where can they go? Yeah. So they can find me at sethferguson.org. Don't go to .com because that's an evangelical uh, preacher guy. <laughs> or, or they can look for my podcast on YouTube. Uh, just search my name or on iTunes, uh, Purchase Two Profits. I also have a real estate TV show in the west side of the GTA called Real Estate Simplified on Kojiko, if anybody's interested in watching me on TV. Very cool. And last but not least, just I always like to ask this, what last words of advice do you have for the listeners? If you're sitting on the fence thinking about real estate investing, just do it. Don't wait. Just do it. Don't wait. I love it. Seth, thank you so much for being on the show. Really, it was a pleasure having you on and uh, congratulations on overcoming the odds and just rebuilding and uh, becoming stronger and better than ever. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to having our um, rent control episode at some point in time. (laughs) That's like a whole four hours. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah. One day, one day, but you guys Google rent control in Ontario. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, you will. (laughs) Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.